Coming up on this week's SportsCast. I think with their track record so far, the ACC tournament is theirs to lose. I think it's just a matter of if this team wants to win it, they can. You know, as cliche or as however you think it sounds, it'll really be themselves stopping them. Arguably the most successful team on the Syracuse campus right now, SU Field Hockey has lost just one game in the past month and a half. They beat their first four ACC opponents by a combined score of 17-4, and though a slip against Virginia last Friday moved the Orange back to ninth in the nation per the NFHCA rankings, the Orange have their best chance at a Final Four berth since 2015, the year they won it all. Field hockey beat writer Brian Brush joined us before the team's upset loss to Virginia to recap the season and explain how the team has found success reminiscent of that 2015 run to the championship. We discussed the Orange's core four producers on offense, their penalty corner success, a staunch defense which is averaging just one goal a game against for the year, and more. I'm Arab Tomajimder. This is the Daily Orange Sportscast. Well, thank you for joining us, Brian. You've been covering this field hockey team all throughout the season. Yep. And they have been, maybe not surprisingly good, but they're 11-2. They've mm-hmm. been killing it in ACC play 4-0 so far. And they have some big, big wins in ACC play 5-0 over UNC, 7-2 over Duke uh, most recently. So that's kind of where I wanted to start off. This is probably their most successful season, regular season since mm-hmm. 2015, yep. which is their last time in the Final Four. Yep. Uh, they won the whole thing that year. Can they repeat that feat this year? Yeah, it's it's definitely interesting. You know, looking at the teams, they kind of fell off in the past two or three years. So if there is a year, I think it's this one. I think the team still has some things to work on. Last year, during the COVID year, the season was split between fall and spring. And they ended up being 8-8, eight and eight, like a 500 team, but they were only playing ACC teams in that one. So with that, this past offseason to improve and kind of have everyone be a year older, I think it's showing that you know their results have proved you know they were a 500 team with a pretty younger side a lot of freshmen everyone's older now more experienced so a lot of these wins make sense they've actually been performing better against the ranked teams than the unranked teams that could kind of just be like a mental thing too you know if it's a strong top five team you're going to want to play your best and if it's a unranked team who's been losing five games in a row you might not have the same mental edge going into it which could be a factor in that but they've been scoring, they've been winning. They're they're on a nine game winning streak right now. Before they play Virginia, it could be potentially a ten game winning streak. In terms of rankings, they're one of three teams in the top ten. Every all the other teams I believe are Big Ten for the most part. They're sandwiched between Louisville, which is either three or four, and then UNC is number ten. I want to um, clarify that's one of three ACC teams in the in the in top, top ten. 10 yeah, right? yep. yeah. So. I think they should at least, you know, minimum make the semis in the ACC and NCAA tournament, I'd say. I think, you know, with their track record so far, the ACC tournament is theirs to lose. They have a big test coming up next week on the 29th against Louisville, the only ACC team ranked higher than them at the moment. So that could be a glimpse into potential semi or final of the ACC and then... Yeah, first round, second round. I mean, anything can happen. It's the NCAA tournament. But 
I think they have a decent shot, at least make it to the semis, and who knows, they could have another crack at, at the tournament run this year. So it'll be interesting, and it'll definitely be fun to see how the rest of the season pans out. Right. I mean, nine wins on the trot, like you said. Now, both their losses came you know, early in, this, uh, mm-hmm. early in the season, early in September, both in overtime. And one was to a top-ranked team in Rutgers, which is a top-five team now. Mm -hmm. Uh, They were eight, number eight at the time the Syracuse played them. But the other loss is perhaps a little bit more concerning and Mm -hmm. maybe goes back to the point that you were saying earlier about maybe Syracuse isn't quite getting up for for some of these unranked teams as much. It was a 2-1 loss to Kent State, unranked to Kent State, and Mm -hmm. that was also at home. Early season, I get it, but they were coming off a 7-0 win and a 6-0 win. Mm-hmm. So, you know, how do you kind of look at, at some of these performances, even later in the season, a 1-0 win against Cornell? Mm-hmm. Uh, maybe when you'd expect them to score a little bit more, especially with the chances that they were generating against some of these weaker teams. Yeah, so I definitely would say the game against UConn on September 12th, they beat number 12 UConn 5-3. That was definitely the turning point in their season. I think if they lost that game... You know, this winning streak, I don't think it would be as as solid as it has been because against Rutgers, that was, you know, the fact that they were able to keep up with them, I'd say it was a was a decent showing. But again, all lost in overtime following the loss against Kent State. I think Kent State really came down to not converting on offensive opportunities, talking to the coaches after the Sacred Heart and Vermont game, the first game games of the season, even though they scored seven and six goals respectively in those games. The theme, you know, what the coaches were saying was 30 plus shots they registered, but only six or seven goals. That's still not good enough. So their main thing this season throughout, you know, whether it doesn't matter who they're playing has been offensive production and scoring when they have the opportunity to shoot, you know, not sending ones wide and having it deflected, things like that. So the Kent State game, I would say, was definitely like a wake up, wake up call, like, they still got a lot of shots, but they ended up losing. So it finally bit them back. Like they finally realized, okay, like, hey, we gotta step up and finally start converting. There definitely was an improvement in the Rutgers game. It was just Rutgers was a very good team. And that I think, you know, they didn't take that too harshly and they brought it to UConn and then Boston College right after number three Boston College. That was like a huge statement win at the time because Boston College was undefeated going into that game. I believe they were I think it was six oh. So handing Boston College their first lost the season was big but then you know transitioning into Cornell and then UPenn two unranked you know Ivy League sides only scoring three goals you know across both of those games it was a recurring theme offensive production on paper their side has definitely more quality but still only be able to scrape by and, and things like that it's I'd say the main concern for them but then walking through their schedule directly you know next up they play number five North Carolina a team they haven't beat since the 2015 national championship game, they'd be 5 nothing. So I think it's just a matter of if this team wants to win it, they can. You know, as cliche or as however you think it sounds, it'll really be themselves stopping them. Right. They definitely have the quality to beat they even these top teams. Mm-hmm. Right. And they've shown it for sure. I mean, that, you know, win against Boston College, like you were talking about, you know, Boston College was number three in the nation at the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, 3-1, definitely a statement win. Now, some of these chances that they're getting, you know, is this a, a lack of finishing or is this more, you know, maybe the chances just aren't quite good enough, like as good as they would need to score? Yeah, I think a lot, not so much of them are clear cut chances, they're more like half chances. So a lot of times you'll see shots from penalty corner plays or shots where there's like a quick cross, but 
in the shooting circle, you know, you're only allowed to shoot in the shooting circle. So naturally it's always going to be crowded with defenders because there's really no point to defend outside when the ball's that high up. A lot come down to deflections or going wide or, you know, on a penalty corner shot, you're really shooting from the same place every time. So the goalie will really only have to dive one side or the other. So it's not all their fault, I would say. It's just, you know, a lot of the half chances just aren't going their way. But then at the same time, you could say they're not creating enough clear-cut chances where they're having, you know, an offensive player break through the back line and have a one-on-one chance on goals. So it's a mix of both. I'd say, you know, in terms of against the unranked teams, they have less opportunities for clear-cut chances just because unranked teams have tended to kind of sit back and attempt to soak up the pressure, which you could kind of see how it ends up in a, in a tight scoreline, one or two, nothing. But, you know, on the back half of that, the defense has been performing in all these games. You know, there's been times they record 30 plus shots, but they only concede like maybe one or two max. And there's some quarters they don't even let the their opponent in, in their half at all. So wow. it's, it's really just, you know, a balance and trying to be able to consistently break down the opponent's defense. So, yeah. Right, and I'm doing a bit of quick math here, and I believe it's only been uh, seven goals allowed during this nine-game win streak, Mm -hmm. and three of those seven goals came in that first win against number 12, UConn, back Mm -hmm. in September 12th. So really, ever since then, I mean, it's been, you know, just shut up shop, incredible defensive play. What has been the key for them on the defensive side, and who have been some of the big players on the defensive side that have stepped up? Yeah, so, I mean, it's pretty standard for field hockey. Every team kind of sets up in a 3-4-3 formation. It's less varied than other sports, I would say. But their backline trio is is pretty, pretty solid. It's SJ Quigley on the right, Ifka van den Neuenhoff in the middle, and then Sienna Pigram in on the left and left back position. Neuenhoff and Quigley are veterans, so they, you know, coming into this season, there's been expectations like they're a pretty solid duo at the back. They actually create a lot of chances on the penalty corner plays. It's usually always quickly inserting to another player who usually sets up the shot for Neuenhoff. Neuenhoff has a really, really powerful shot from the center of the shooting circle, likes to get those on goal. And I think actually this season so far... So I got four goals, I believe. Four goals. Uh, they've all come from corner plays because defenders don't really go up outside of that. But yeah, that backline trio... Pegram on the left has actually been, you know, a key to that as well. She's only a sophomore, but even as a freshman, you know, last year, she started 14 of 16 games. All of those, like I said, were against ACC opponents. So she came in, she won like a district championship at at her high school. And, and, you know, she was a top player in high school, had a few different offers. But her story is actually interesting. Her aunt actually went to Syracuse a while ago. So Syracuse was always her top choice. And, you know, the prominence of the field hockey program was just like a natural fit for her and she walked right into the team as a freshman pretty much and this year she started all 13 games so far she doesn't fill up the stat sheet but she's just always there always making stops thwarting counter attacks she's usually the the primary defender to stay back on the corners in case you know to prevent a counter attack so she's just always there always making stops when she has to and that combined with the two veterans it's just you know, a perfect combination at the moment. Right. And I mean, they've definitely kept their fair number of shutouts. It seems like you're right. Like you were saying, I mean, a lot of these opponents aren't even being able to get into the, mm-hmm. the Syracuse half to be able to, you know, even initiate a counterattack. Now, offensively, you know, we were talking about the, the, I guess, the chance creation versus conversion, you know, 
eight goals is is their leading scorer so far. That's Plume Lammers. Has she been sort of the main option going forward? What what has that been looking like so far for them? Yeah, so their offensive unit is actually really interesting. A lot of their players alternate between offense and midfield a lot. So in general, I would say a lot of their offense comes through the right flank, whether you know, whether that be Lammers or DeVries at the time, they all kind of rotate, okay. but they always find the most success on the right side. Whether that be on a counterattack, they get some vertical passes straight up the right, or they win the ball back, you know, in the opponent's half, spray it to the to the right, and then there's a lot of times where DeVries or Comins, they just kind of dribble right up to the byline and like sneak past the defender and are able to like slice a cross on the ground inside and for a quick tapping goal. That's you know a big you know thing for them, I would say, but. Yeah, it's the combination of Corinna Comins. They call her Q. She's a new graduate student to the team this year. Plume Lammers, a junior, and Charlotte DeVries. And at any point, you could see them either, you know, with the three up front, either on the left, in the middle, or on the right. And then you also, there's, you know, more recently, DeVries has been playing right midfield. And in tandem with her is Coleman's um, right forward position and then Lammers in the center. So that's been their, like, triangle right there. DeVries... Initiates the counterattacks, wins the ball back, and gets the ball to Comins to eventually try to get to Lammers in the middle. That's kind of their go-to style of play. Then more recently, midfielder Laura Graciosi, she's a senior this year. She's been stepping up recently. She's more of a box-to-box midfielder. She also stays back on corner to penalty corner plays as well. But she's stepped up big time with two penalty strokes recently. One against Wake Forest, which uh, was actually the game-winning goal. That game was pretty interesting. Her penalty stroke shot came with just a few minutes left in the fourth quarter, and it was a weird sequence of play. Her teammate Claire Cook was driving in on the left flank into the shooting circle, and a Wake Forest defender tripped her from behind. So they let play go on for another few seconds, and then they actually decided to go back. Okay, They paused play, and they reviewed it. After like a five-minute review, they said, okay, this is going to be a penalty stroke for Syracuse. They award it. Graciosi immediately steps up, tells coach, like, hey, I want to take this. So she goes ahead, she takes it, and slots it into the bottom left corner. But then the referees, immediately as the goal is scored again, they motion for another review. So I was a bit confused. It seemed like, you know, the goalie was on her her line, and Graciosi didn't do anything crazy with her shot, but they went to go check the goal anyway. And it was a, it was a pretty lengthy review, but halfway through the lights go out in, in JS Coin Stadium. So everyone's just kind of sitting there. The broadcasters up in the booth are like, we're not really sure what's going on. So the fans, you know, there were over 250 fans there that day, and they were just kind of sitting there like, like what's going on? Because uh, it's a top 15 matchup. You know, uh, Wake Forest was 15. Syracuse was top 10 at the time. It's like a big game, tied 1-1, a few minutes left in the fourth quarter. So this goal meant a lot. Right. So I clocked it. The lights were out for a total of six minutes, and around halfway through, you could hear just like huge celebration and cheers from the Syracuse sideline. So that kind of signaled to everyone that the goal kind of counted. And a few minutes later, the lights came back on. Uh, it was announced that the goal, Graciosi's goal, stood. So that led Syracuse to a 2 1 victory over Wake Forest, which was one, one of their more closer games, ACC games more least, recently. Yeah. yeah. So that was big, how Graciosi getting involved. She plays more on the left side of the midfield, so kind of holding the fort down opposite to DeVries and Comins on the right side. And then Lammers has just been a focal point in the middle consistently throughout with you know a few goals here and there. So 
Right. And those four that you mentioned are, you know, at the top of the, the goal scoring and points charts, eight goals for Lammers, like I said earlier, seven for Komen, six mm-hmm. for DeVries and, and five for Graziosi. Mm-hmm. Now, you know, d- down the line, you know, they, they are getting, you know, scoring from other options as well. But it, like you're saying, it really does seem like those, especially that, that front three of DeVries, Comins and Lammers mm-hmm. is, is especially key in those big games for yeah. their more counterattacking style. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Few other, you know, members of the team have scored goals here and there. You know, all they, you know, Carolyn Hoffman scored an important goal against uh, UNC. You know, when they won five nothing to pretty much cement that victory. And then more recently, I think Claire Cook has been more involved. She's been starting more games, getting more, you know, into it. She's been playing the left forward position, kind of being that final piece to the puzzle. Syracuse has been looking for because they've been mainly going through the right side. Yeah, I think. It's kind of that, you know, as cliche as like that core four of players up front that's kind of doing a lot of the work. And then it's just being backed up by solid defense. I think in recent weeks, SJ Quigley and Carolyn Hoffman, they've both earned ACC Defensive Player of the Week honors. And along with Coleman's and Lammers, who have won Offensive Player of the Week throughout this season as well. So I think it's been a very balanced team. They're really good across the board and every position is kind of doing what they're supposed to do so yeah it'll be interesting heading into the postseason just a few games left in the regular season like i highlighted before the louisville game will be a big test for them and kind of like a glimpse into you know potentially a big postseason matchup but they've passed you know syracuse has passed most of their tests so far they've been improving consistently i'd say the main concern would be that offensive production down the stretch just in case you know a team decides to hold back and they have to break down the defense. So it'll definitely be interesting to watch moving forward. Right. I guess I do want to ask, like, especially with a 7-2 win over Duke, like we've been talking about the offensive struggles, is that a sign that they're sort of breaking out of this slump? We're recording this on a Friday before mm-hmm. the Virginia game, so we'll have a clearer picture, yeah. uh, you know, after this weekend. But I guess especially heading into that Louisville game, do you kind of expect, you know, those seven goals and then even, you know, three goals against Colgate, you know, Prior to that, does that sort of help kickstart this offense, or is that just a product of who they're playing? Yeah, I think it'll definitely, you know, the fact that they've been able to get three past Colgate and then seven past, you know, still a ranked, you know, solid Duke side. I think everything's on their side. I think, you know, they should have the confidence. They should have, you know, at least the momentum, you know. If if anything's going to stop them, it's really themselves. I think, you know, as cliche, obviously, as that sounds, but they have the quality from offense to defense, to even their their goalie, Brooke Borzomowski stepped up this season. She beat out Louise Pert for the starting spot. She's doing her job as well. So, you know, as it comes for, you know, two ranked games in, in Virginia and Louisville, I think it'll really, you know, there's not too much they have to change, I would say. More just doing what they're doing, making sure the defense is solid, and just hoping that sets a foundation for their offense. And ranked opponents, you know, this season have played more openly against Syracuse, um, they still try to, you know, they want to attack, they want to try and score goals. So that naturally sets up opportunities for counterattacks for the Orange. And Syracuse is, they're pretty solid at that as well. You know, there were some times, you know, I I can remember against, you know, whether it be UNC or, you know, even though they only scored two goals against Wake Forest, they were very strong in the counterattack, very quick, direct passes from their back line to their midfielder to the forward who kind of, you know, in three passes, they're able to get 
the ball from circle to circle and get a shot on goal. They don't, you know, they haven't scored too many of those, you know, but it is there. They have the quality. Like creating so. the chances. But, yeah, yeah, those chances come back to, okay, we have the chances, we're creating them. It's going to come down to offensive production. And some of that can be luck. Some of that can be, you know, just needing to do that more so and, you know, more frequently. I think definitely if they're able to keep doing what they're doing, Moving forward, they should be able to go put the goals past the opponents coming up. So, uh, I do want to touch on the goalkeeping uh, real quick before I let you go here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, like you're saying, Brooke Borzamowski. Am I saying that right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Brooke ha- has taken the starting job. Uh, she started ten of of the games this season, ten of the thirteen games this mm-hmm. season. Only let eight goals past her. So, point seven seven goals against average. Her save percentage is at point seven eight four. And, you know, what have you kind of seen out of the goalkeeping? Is that just, I, I guess, another, you know, helper to the defense? Has the defense made the goalkeeping look a little bit better than it is? Or has the goalkeeping kind of helped the defense? You know, how does that kind of work? I think it's a combination of both. I think at times, you know, Syracuse concedes only, you know, two or three shots throughout the entire game, throughout four quarters. So Brooke hasn't had much to do. But when she does, you know, more often than not, she's there to make the save. There's also been times where, you know, not too often, but if a defender's caught out and things like that and, you know, an opponent gets a shot off from like the edge of the circle, she's usually there. She's very quick to get, you know, dive to the side and, and make that stop. You know, I'd say she really is, you know, good at being able to control the ball when it's shot at her as well. Sometimes, you know, you see goalies, they make the save, but they either bobble it or it rebounds after and it allows, you know, the, the other team to get an easy tapping goal. She's able to just, you know, make the stop and, you know, kind of... Not like let a rebound. Yeah, and, and the possession for the other the other team, like right there. So it's definitely, you know, good to have the defense performing well and limiting those opportunities to go against Borzomowski. But when it does come her way, she's there to make the stop. Well, Brian, it's been a pleasure to have you on. Is there anything else that you want to kind of add in? Last thing that we haven't maybe touched on or anything like that? No, we talked about a lot, actually. I think this year, you know, the consensus around the team and the coaches, they don't want to, you know, look back at their past and, you know, say, oh, does this remind us of 2015? You know, because reporters, you know, we've asked her the games, you know, is this the year? Is this the year, you know, after win, after win, after win? But they are very focused on just, you know, week in and week out doing what they can. I think, you know, I asked Claire Cook one time after a game and she's like, yeah, I didn't even know we were on a, a seven game winning streak at this point. So, you know, however, you know, she really thinks about it and, you know, with her team, but it's interesting to see, I think in the past six years, this is their season to do it. And they have the best shot this year, I would say at least, at least, you know, a minimum should be a, a semifinal in the ACC tournament, but I think they have a very good chance at winning it all. I think, Louisville will be their toughest challenge in that tournament and you know it'll be a great opportunity to see them go up against each other next week and then who knows with the uh, NCAA tournament you know we'll see what happens there well you'll be there to cover all of that you know please follow Brian on Twitter uh, follow him along on the Daily Orange webpage they put out a lot of the whole beat puts out a lot of great work Uh, Brian in particular puts out a lot of great work (laughs) so we're glad to be able to have you on talk a little bit about field hockey and uh, we'll see how this how this team ends up doing. Yep. And the ACC tournament is actually here in Syracuse. So it'll be at JS Coin Stadium in a few weeks' time. So Perfect. Sure. Come out for that. Bye. Yep. Awesome. Even after a 2-1 loss to Virginia, Syracuse remains a favorite for the ACC tournament just behind Louisville, which it plays this week. 
The Orange are guaranteed to finish above 500 in ACC play for the first time since 2016, and depending on their results to end the season, they could also end with their best overall record since 2016. Ange Bradley has refound the formula for success she employed for the majority of her tenure at Syracuse, and SU field hockey seems to have moved past the up and down nature of its past four seasons. I'm Arab Thomajimdar, the host and editorial director. Mariah Humiston is our podcast editor. Adam McCaffrey and Anthony Allen are the assistant digital editors. Adam Wolf is our music producer. Matt Wrigley and RJ Fram are the associate producers. And Nick Lutrell is the executive producer for our show.